You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. Hey, Beth, how are you? I'm good, Brittany. How are you? I'm good. Long time no see. It's so good to see you. I know. I know. I just keep seeing the pictures of your puppy and I can't believe (laughs) how small he was and how big he is now. It's just crazy. I know. He grew so fast. So, I mean, time flies, but also he grew in a very short period of time as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Things are going well and we finally have a sunny day here today. So that's exciting. Yeah. Wonderful. How are you feeling about doing the podcast episode? It's good. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can form coherent sentences and, and make sense. And yeah, but I think it's, I think it's interesting. It'll be, it'll be fun. So maybe getting into it a little bit more, why don't you tell us a bit about you as a person? Who are you? What do you like to do? What's your personality like? Who are you? (laughs) Sure. So um, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I have a four-year-old daughter and my husband, my daughter and I, we just moved to a new house about a year ago. So we're kind of getting settled and getting in our new routines and everything. I work for local government. I'm a trainer and I do leadership development and process improvement, documentation, all of that. So it's really great. I've spent my entire career in local government and I, I love it. I love, I love working to make my community a better place. Outside of work, I am an avid quilter. So I spend a lot of time cutting fabric apart and sewing it back together. It's been my, I have a list of all the quilts that I want to make and who I want to make them for. So slowly working my way through that, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I, read a lot um, as well and lately begun getting into audiobooks because I can sew and listen to books at the same time so it's perfect yeah personality wise I'm I'm creative and I am an eternal optimist always <laughs> sometimes to my detriment but uh, I can usually find the bright side of anything so that's that's me in a very small nutshell yeah I love that excellent overview very well (laughs) said and where would you say that your issues with food and body image really started oh man um I feel like I recognized pretty early on in you know even in elementary school like third fourth fifth grade um that my body was different um you know, that I was bigger than other girls in my class. And I was just reflecting on this a few uh, weeks ago with my therapist and talking about, I don't know if you have this in Canada, but we have this presidential physical fitness program that happened a lot when I was a kid. And we would have to do how many sit-ups can you do? And how many pull-ups can you do? And how fast can you run? And um, so that was a big you know, that was one of those moments where suddenly you understand (laughs) that it's, you know, you're not at the same level as somebody else. Right. And 
the people who are really good about it, they got the certificate and a patch and the whole nine yards. And if you didn't measure to a certain standard, you didn't get the patch. And I'm I'm very patch and pin motivated. <laughs> even in <laughs> even in daily life, I'm a big uh, pin collector, and so that's that's carried over. But you know, so I remember as early as that, just kind of recognizing difference. But it wasn't probably until you know middle school where it really, really hit and became became a huge part of my life and a focus that didn't leave for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, middle school girls are terrible and the things that we do and say to each other, but there was always that, that layer of difference and not looking like everyone else or my clothes were bigger. Or <laughs> I remember when I was in uh, middle school, the bike shorts and the baggy shirt with the, I don't know what those things are called, like the t-shirt, not things were mm-hmm. very big in Oh gosh, I'm really dating myself, aren't I? But that was a big, that was a big thing. And it, it always felt like that didn't, you know, it didn't look good on me or I shouldn't be wearing something like that. And so that was, you know, those, those early memories of, of being othered. Mm. Feeling like you're excluded socially from the mainstream, especially when you're at that age where your body is already changing. There's already a lot of focus on it it compounds and turns into something that is really overwhelming, which it sounds like it was for you at that time. Yeah. And it's the, I think one of the worst parts is that even if it's not explicitly stated that your body is quote unquote wrong, Mm -hmm. the, all of the visuals that you're seeing, you know, every representation in the media doesn't look like you. And so, you know, that was very much my experience, even into high school, I was in high school in the early 2000s. I'm seeing all those fashion trends come back again, this whole low rise jeans business. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it's very, I don't want to say triggering, but it's really, um, (laughs) it's something like, Mm -hmm. I thought we were done with all of that, but you know, that feeling of that's not meant for you or you know, the cool, you couldn't find the cool things. Like I couldn't find the cool things in my size. And that was really a bummer when you're a high school girl and you're trying to fit in and wear what everyone else is wearing. And, you know, so Mm. lots of moments like that, where it was just very, I wouldn't say explicit, but that just kind of insidious presence of diet culture everywhere. Yeah. Do you think it would have been different if there was more representation? A hundred percent. I think, you know, one of the things that I did several years ago, and I think it was something that you challenged us for when we were, uh, when I was doing the coaching program with you was to kind of take a look at my Instagram feed and see, you know, what is coming up in my feed? What am I exposing myself to? And so I've really changed what was in my feed. Like the things that were not bringing me joy, uh, I, I got rid of and, I follow a lot of people who look like me now and just seeing, just seeing that has changed. And so I think about there's, you're probably familiar with the song, um, Victoria's Secret by Jax. And, you know, she talks about how it's just, I cried when I heard the song because having somebody tell me 
at that point in my life that my body was okay. And my, like your body is your body and that's just what it is. And, you know, Victoria's secret, they're just, (laughs) they're itty bitty models and it doesn't have to look a certain way for everyone. Like having that messaging when I was a kid would have made a huge difference. And it's something I think about a lot, you know, with my own daughter, she's four. And I think all the time about what kind of content is she consuming and what kind of messaging is she getting from me and making sure that that's not, you know, that she's seeing that there's different body types and, you know, nobody is inherently good or bad. And it's, you know, just, I think seeing people who look different from you and the representation that's there and seeing people who look like you and being them being represented is just so important. And I wish I would have had that. I really wish I would have had that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes a really big difference when you're able to see versions of your body out in the world and to normalize it. It makes it feel like you're meant to belong in the greater culture, right? And that is a big deal when you feel like you don't belong in society as a whole that's going to really impact your self-esteem and how you view yourself. And then as a result, how you end up treating your body. And how you show up too. I mean, mm-hmm. I think through all of the years of making myself, trying to make myself as small as I could, you know, or constantly being in pursuit of being, you know, smaller, skinnier, it also made me shrink back from spaces and not, you know, not be my full self wherever I was. It was be quiet, be unobtrusive, don't draw attention to yourself. And so I, you know, one of the things that I'm processing now is just all of the grief and anger that comes with kind of feeling like I've shoved myself into a corner and haven't been my authentic self for years. And what would have been different had it been okay to be myself in the body that I, that I had. So And we can't go back and change the past, but you can start to heal and show up in the present as the version of yourself that you really needed when you were younger and heal that part of you that's still hurting. Because at the end of the day, that's what body image issues are, right? They're unhealed parts of you from growing up from when you were a kid, from when you were a teenager that still are just hanging around until this point. And so even just seeing representation now, I'm sure that's really healing for your inner teenager and your inner child. Yeah. And seeing, seeing people who look like me in a lead role and not just in like the, you know, background best friend role is, is just so huge. It's, Mm -hmm. it makes such a difference. Definitely. It does. What else was really helpful for you in your body image healing journey? I think so before we started working together, I had seen a lot about like body neutrality. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of getting to a place where I could even just accept that, you know, that this was my body um, and be okay with it instead of, you know, looking in the mirror and hating myself every day. There was something very powerful in that just even kind of that neutral acceptance of, you know, this is my body. And I think the other piece too, is having spent 
almost an entire lifetime, like demonizing myself for how I look and then realizing, you know, but never focusing on all of the amazing things my body does do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's so, you know, there's so many things I, so I kind of came to it after I had my daughter and I spent my entire pregnancy miserable because my body didn't look like other pregnant bodies that I was seeing, you know, plus size, plus size pregnancy representation is really limited. And yeah. I couldn't find cute maternity clothes. And my experience with doctors was very different than, than someone, you know, who is existing in a smaller body than I was. And I just remember feeling like, well, first of all, I don't think pregnancy is accurately represented anyway. It's hard when you're not seeing people like you represented and the, you know, realizing that even though I wasn't seeing myself represented in those spaces, my body was still doing an amazing thing. Like I created a human and how amazing was that? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) so at a certain point, it became less about what I couldn't do and more about what I could do. Yeah. Yeah. And focusing on your body, just looking at it through a different lens other than the aesthetic part of it. Right. Gaining a deeper appreciation for your body and the fact that it grew a child and lets you live every day and allows you to do the things that you love, lets you make all those amazing quilts (laughs) that you make, right? Yes. Your, Your body does so much for you. And I think when we're so focused on weight, we tend to discredit or look past all of those things. And it, it's really harmful for our image or self image. Yeah. And so why did you end up reaching out to me when you did? Do you remember what was, what brought you to that point? I was in, I was in therapy actually. And my, my therapist had encouraged me uh, to reach out to you because she had a previous client that had also worked with you, but it was because we were kind of talking, obviously, you know, my weight and body image and food has been a lifelong challenge and, and struggle for me. And so she mentioned reaching out to somebody who had a little bit more specialization in kind of working with people around those issues. And, um, you know, cause she was supporting me as best that she could, but didn't have that kind of special lens that I was really, really looking for. So um, mm-hmm. I was grateful that she recommended you because it was lovely. Yeah. And I was very grateful too. I always love getting <laughs> referrals. I feel like, yeah, I mean, all my clients are amazing, but I feel like the referral clients are just special because they've, you know, either known somebody who's kind of been through it and can kind of get that firsthand experience and story to say like, Hey, yeah, this is a really great thing. And here's what I did. Or they, you know, hear from a professional who they trust and it gives them a little bit more confidence in kind of doing the work too. Cause it's scary to kind of take this step when you don't know anybody who's done it, or if it's never been recommended to you, it can kind of feel like, well, is, is this even a real thing? Like what are right. doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a really, it was a really good step for me for sure. And so what were some main takeaways that you really remember being helpful in finding more food freedom? I think, you know, it's funny, there's so being part of kind of your small group coaching session, and then we did work together one-on-one. I think one of the things that I appreciated the most was just 
in that group realizing how alone I felt in my struggles with food and body image and then being being there in the you know virtual space with everyone finding out that even though we were from very different places at very different points in our life we were all we all had very similar struggles and so just feeling less alone was amazing um but there is <laughs> i ask myself this all the time uh it was i don't know if it was a core a core component but i remember we were having a conversation around like food and snacks and you know how much of this and that and I remember you talking about um, kind of asking yourself two questions and like how much, you know, what feels satisfying and what feels filling. And I ask myself that all the time, you know, when I'm looking, you know, when I'm grabbing a snack for, you know, an afternoon snack or even just kind of dishing out for, for dinner. And I, I ask myself what amount of this is going to feel satisfying and what's going to be filled, you know, cause they're different kind of going forward. It's like that idea of like, and I ask, I ask my daughter this all the time. It's, well, is your tummy hungry or is your mouth hungry? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're two very different things. And I, that is, that was so impactful. Like I can't, I can't understate how much that really transformed the way that I looked at things. And it's, you know, it's just a, it pops in my head every time, you know, how much, what seems satisfying, what, what seems filling. And so it's, that's definitely changed my relationship with food going forward for sure. And I think the other thing too, just that idea of kind of the way we talk to ourselves. And I think about that all the time. Like, would you ever say to a friend, the things that you say to yourself? Um, And the answer, at least for me was no, I would not say that to my friend but felt perfectly fine saying it to myself. And so it's just like that self-talk, that inner narrative working on that has been a big, a big part of my journey as well. Absolutely. I mean, your inner talk, it dictates how you feel at any given point in time. It dictates your mood and how you go about your day and the decisions that you make ultimately. And so when that inner talk is like a runaway train and it's so negative and so berating and just when it beats down on you all the time, it really impacts your life and the food decisions that you make too. Yeah. And how you feel about them afterwards too. So, you know, I can't say that the voice has totally gone away. It, it, I don't think it ever is going to go away, but it's a lot quieter and I recognize when it's popping up, right? I recognize when like the other day after lunch, I was grabbing a couple cookies for the road and I grabbed three and I saw the package, the package says serving size is two. And so then there's that little part of my brain that's like, nope, you cannot have, shh, go away. Three cookies sounds good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take three. And off we go. And I didn't think about it. You know, it wasn't like, I can't believe I had three cookies. This was terrible. I'm a horrible person. Like three cookies sounded good. I had three cookies moving on. And that that's a huge amount of growth for me. So yeah, serving sizes are not (laughs) a hard and fast rule. It's at the end of the day, it's marketing, right? Like it's not, you know, a dietitian of the food company saying this is how many cookies should be on the label. It's the company saying this is how many 
calories and whatever else we think the consumer will find acceptable for this food. It's why on Mr. Noodles, a serving size is half a packet. And you're like, who eats half a packet of Mr. Noodles? Like nobody ever. No one. No one. That's just, that's so strange. Or a craft dinner. I'm sorry. I eat a whole box of craft dinner. I do not eat a quarter box. Who eats a quarter box? Maybe a toddler. And that is it. Right. And even still, they probably want to eat like a half box. I don't even know. Depending on their mood. Exactly. Some days yeah, it's, it's two change. noodles and some days it's half a pot. Like, what can you do? It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of freeing, freeing myself from that judgment has been, it's work. It's hard work, but it's, it's good. Mm. The results are good. Yeah, definitely. And just curious, why did you choose to work together in a group capacity versus a one? I know we did both. Ultimately we did one-on-one after group, but why did you choose group from the get-go? Yeah, I think that it was, I mean, I kind of did best both worlds, right? So I did, I did the group. And I think what was great about that was we kind of went through, we had a structured kind of way of working through the content, the the food freedom life course that you have and, and working through that, that there, I'm trying to remember if I have like a concrete reason why I did it that way. And I don't know if there's like one reason, but it was, I remember it was starting and it was very quick because I think I had reached out to you like a day or two before and I didn't have a lot of time to really second guess my decision, (laughs) um, which is good because I overanalyze everything to death. And so it was one of those moments of like, oh, I have one starting in two days. Are you in? And I'm like, okay, let's do this. So it just kind of felt, it felt timely and I really liked the idea of kind of connecting into a community around it because, you know, like I mentioned before, it, sometimes it feels very isolating. Like you're the only one dealing with these and, you know, these issues and it's just not, it's not true. So, yeah. Yeah. The universe had good timing on that one for sure. I do. I remember signing you up. It was like the day before the day of or something like that. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I think it was just, it was meant to be the timing and for sure that community you don't necessarily get from one-on-one. One-on-one coaching is great. I yeah. love it, but there is something really special about being a part of a group and being with other women who, like you said, are from very different walks of life, very different histories, but are struggling with the same things and just hearing from different people's perspectives and seeing them kind of move through the process and find little pockets of freedom and, and have those light bulb moments. It gives you hope for your own journey as well. Yeah. And it's inspiring too. It's, it's so amazing to celebrate all of our wins together Yeah. instead of just, yay, over here <laughs> at my desk, like, woohoo, I did a thing. Like, you know, there, there's something to be said about that being celebrated all together by people who understand just how difficult that was or how much growth was involved in doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's nice to kind of feel celebrated, not just by your coach, like by me, but <laughs> by other people too, who are, who are in the same place. It's nice to kind of have that sense of camaraderie there. Yes, definitely. Kind of switching gears into maybe a different kind of community. How did dealing with family dynamics play a role in your dieting recovery and food freedom? Ooh, well, I'm lucky to have a very supportive husband who's been, if not totally gung-ho, just, you know, letting, letting me kind of work through things as I needed to. 
you know, it's hard because my, my family history is kind of challenging in that. I think a lot of my body issues came from the way that I grew up. We spent time with my grandparents, my sister and I, as a kid, they would take care of us while my parents were working and very much clean plate club. And the two of us were very different. I would finish my plate and my sister, you know, ate like a little bird and, and didn't. And, but that was enough food for her. And so it kind of, you know, you start with that and then constantly being compared both of us to each other for very different reasons. And when I got a little older, it was, oh, well, your sister can eat those things, but you can't. And so kind of this imbalance in that family relationship. And so it's been one of those interesting things over the last couple of years, as I'm working through this, trying to figure out where some of those rules that I created for myself come from, where some of those beliefs around food started, and then also trying to work through those in a way that is like helping my family understand Mm -hmm. without trying to demonize them for, you know, the way that they tried to handle things. You know, at one point when I was a kid, my mom had offered to pay me to lose weight thinking that that would be motivational. And that was the opposite of an effective tactic. And, but, you know, it's like, I think she was trying to help at the time, but that's not really how it felt on the receiving end of that. And so I've been having kind of, especially with, with my daughter, you know, just making sure that when we're around family the food rules, like there are no food rules. She doesn't have to finish everything before she gets dessert. You know, it's just here, you want a cracker? Here you go. Um, she thinks graham crackers are dessert, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. <laughs> so she's like, oh, you can have a cracker. Yeah, have a cracker. Um, and, uh, you know, just try not to force her and, and a lot with just new foods too. You know, she's four. So she's suspect of you know, anything that is different and new. Although we gave her corned beef on St. Patrick's Day and she loved it. Oh, wow. She just kept like asking for more. And it's so funny. Um, <laughs> it's very cute. You want some corned beef? Go for it. And I think while we haven't had an explicit conversation around like that's how it was done, this is not how we're doing it now, I think kind of setting the tone for how my daughter is kind of interacting with food has shifted their perspectives a little bit around the conversations that we used to have because my, you know, anytime, anytime we visited, my dad used to say like, Oh, you know, you need to love you. I'm just worried, you know, kind of like, I'm just worried about your health kind of thing. Yeah. And I think I remember, I, I talked about this when we were doing our group coaching and we came up with strategies for like how to respond to that. And so I had kind of worked myself up before one of their visits, like, all right, got a response. I'm ready to go. Here's how we can talk about this. And, and they never came up and it hasn't since then. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right. So some messaging has gone through, I, I tend to avoid conflict. So there is that, but I think enough of the messaging has gotten through where it's like, this is not an acceptable topic of conversation and yeah. you mean well, but no. Yeah. No. I mean, it sounds like being a mom in a lot of ways has really helped this process along for you. Definitely. I want so much for my daughter to not have to have the same struggles around 
food and body image as much as I can, right? There's media and all of that. She's four. She doesn't consume that yet. But, you know, it's like, I want to give her as solid of a base as I can before she kind of starts getting that messaging out in the world about what everything should look like or shouldn't, or, you know, what's good or bad, or, you know, I just, I want to keep that out of her realm as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were talking about a little bit before, but like trying to be the me that I needed when I was younger, that influence that I needed when I was younger. And it helps to be like, okay, I'm actually providing that. I'm doing that right now. I love that. And I mean, yeah, family dynamics are are hard and not for everybody, but for a lot of people, a lot of the issues with food and body started when we were young and living at home and the influence of parents who were maybe dieting or maybe they weren't dieting, but they had a lot of feelings about weight and bodies and our bodies and how they looked and how they were growing. And yeah, I mean, even though we're grown adults now, sometimes it's still really hard. You kind of retreat back into that childlike version of yourself when you're in those conversations. And it's it's hard to kind of navigate that. But advocating for yourself, honestly, is such a big part of, of this work, whether it's with family, with friends, with a partner, in work settings, with random people standing up for yourself. And I mean, I'm a conflict avoider also, as much <laughs> as possible, recovering conflict avoider, but that ability to kind of take care of yourself in that way mm-hmm. is a byproduct of food freedom. Yeah. And I heard you say clean plate club. What Uh was really helpful for you in recovering from that piece? It's so funny because obviously the messaging when I was a kid was like, there are starving children in the world. Like you need to eat your food. And it's still difficult for me to leave food. And that's part of where like asking myself before I put the food on my plate, like, you know, so that it's not huge things, but I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest things for me became in like, when I was growing, like, oh, you can't have that, but your sister can. And so it kind of became this like scarcity and so better eat it all right now. Or, you know, like realizing like when there's, there's that, that tipping point where like that was satisfying, that was great. But if I finish all of this, I'm going to feel like garbage and not not because I've eaten it, but physically feeling like I ate too much or like, you know, there's when you hit that point where it's like, I ate just enough. My craving has been satisfied all is well. Like I love that feeling. Yeah. And I've had to do a lot of work around figuring out where that feeling is. Mm -hmm. And so there's that point where it's like, I could finish this, but I will feel worse when I'm done. So I'm okay. And there are more burgers to be had later. Like if I want one in a couple of weeks, I can have one then. Like I don't need to eat this all now. Few exceptions to that that are local cuisines and other things. But for the most part, I am an adult. And if I want some Oreos next week, I can go get some Oreos next week. And that's very empowering to, to kind of take that in and think, okay, there are you know, this isn't scarce. You can have this again when you want it later. You don't need to eat it all now. And it helps me physically feel better to not do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. And that's at the end of the day, what it's all about, right? It's just physically feeling 
better and feeling like you have to use diets in order to get there. And it's been a journey too. Like the, the first couple times where, especially like if we were to get takeout or something and I didn't finish whatever I'd ordered, I felt really guilty, just really, really guilty. And now because I've, I'm more practiced at it, there's not that guilt tied to it. It's I'm satisfied moving on. Mm-hmm. It's sitting in discomfort almost and learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? That feeling of like, oh, I feel like I should finish this all. And, you know, but my body's saying I'm done. So what do I do? Right? Yeah. Well, at a point too, it's like, are you going to be uncomfortable because you're going against like this mindset that you were in? Or are you going to be physically uncomfortable because you've done something that your body is like, hey, I was good like five bites ago. Yeah. It's discomfort either way. Which one, which one are you taking? And one of them will lead to less over time. And, you know. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful way to look at it. It's just, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable either way. So which one will ultimately lead you to developing a relationship with food that you ultimately want in the long run? Yeah. And I mean, food freedom, it's not a place that you just get to. It's something that you have to keep working on forever. So how do you kind of keep your mind on this work rather than going back into old behaviors and old patterns and dieting and all of that? I mean, I I want to make sure that message really resonates because I think I wish that the work was like, I did that and now I'm done and I've moved on. Like it is constant. It is a work. You know, I talked about like, that inner voice, it has not gone away, but it's much smaller and much quieter. And so, you know, what keeps me doing the work is just remembering how miserable it was without it and how (laughs) literally none of the diets and none of the programs that I tried did the thing that I wanted them to do for the long run. And I think that the thing about diet culture is that so much of it is just like, it's not that the program fails, it's that you failed. Like, and after how many times of hearing or experiencing yourself failing on a program, failing quote, quote, unquote, do you look around and go, is it really me? Or is there just something here that is not, it's it's just not working for me. (laughs) This is, there's gotta be a better way. And and this really is the better way. It's, it's uncomfortable and it's hard and you have to face things down that maybe it's easier not thinking about, but in the long run, I am so like, I wish I could really articulate how little time I spend thinking about food now. Yeah. It, you know, before it was okay. And calories in and calories out and you know, need to make sure I've got X, Y, and Z on the plate at all times. And just how I think about food now is like, huh, what sounds good? A sandwich sounds good today. Excellent. I will have a sandwich today. And that's the end of the conversation. Like it's not this big long, oh, well, if I eat a sandwich now, that means I have to have a salad for dinner. Like, no, I don't do that anymore. And that's been so freeing but it is, it is constant because there's with all of the messaging in the media about that, what's that stuff called? Ozempic. Is that, is that the, yeah, it's just like, 
things like that coming up, that's been really hard over the last couple of months because it's like just in your face all the time. And every now and then it's like, am I doing? And then I think about, yeah, I am doing the right thing. This feels a lot better than I ever felt with anything else. So I just keep coming back to that. It's so normal to have answer. No, no, that was perfect. (laughs) It's so normal to have those moments and those thoughts where you question and you're like, should I? Maybe that seems pretty enticing, right? It seems like that would just be an easy thing, but at the end of the day, it's all the same. Yeah. All the same. And this is something that's reliable. Yeah. Even though it's something you have to keep working on and, you know, it has its high and low points, it's reliable at the end of the day and it feels good and it feels heart centered. Yeah. And it's so nice to think about you know, to go with what feels good to me instead of what someone else says I should be doing. Yeah. Um, And I was going to ask you, does it feel worth it to do this over dieting? But you kind of answered that question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, I can't imagine going back to a place where I'm counting calories or doing some really strict program or, you know, doing meal replacement shakes or bars. Like I just, it was so, I remember being miserable when I was doing those things. That's not going to make me any happier. And it's not going to, it's just going to make me miserable. And then are the results going to be quote unquote, what, you know, like what I want, like it's, I feel much better doing the work on my own mental health and my own relationship with food and being able to be comfortable with myself in the world and my own head than I think any diet could ever make me. Wonderfully said. So what's one piece of advice that you would maybe tell somebody who's struggling with their body image or their relationship with food right now? I think my piece of advice would be just you know, just, just start, just start thinking about yourself in a different way. Think about what a better relationship with food and a better relationship with your body could really mean for you. And I am so happy to not constantly be at odds or feel like I'm fighting myself over something and it feels better, but it's, I will say it's difficult. It's not, you know, sunshine and rainbows all the time. I I mentioned earlier, you know, there's I still deal with a lot of grief and anger about things that have happened to me or ways that I did or didn't show up. And that's really, it's hard, but I'm so glad I'm working through it and not spending my next 40 years chasing after some kind of body size that is no guarantee of my happiness. Yeah. That idea that all of a sudden, if you're skinnier, everything magically becomes better. Like I don't, it doesn't, (laughs) there's still, there's still a lot to kind of work through. And so I'm just working through it now and not demonizing myself in the process. Just start. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. Really proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. You've come a really long way. And I mean, it's, it sounds like it's really just impacted your life in a lot of different ways. It really has. And I am just so grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that you 
kind of stumble upon for whatever reason, whether, you know, somebody talks about it or your therapist recommends it or just, you know, somebody shares a post on social media or you see a TikTok or whatever else. And it opens up this whole world that you didn't even know existed, but it's exactly what you need. Yeah. Those moments for all its ills, social media really was kind of what creaked the door open for me to this idea of of body neutrality and then body positivity. And, you know, seeing those things where like, there'll be a post. And I I remember one and it's like, who is profiting off of you hating yourself and constantly trying, like, that was one of those light bulb moments of, oh my God, somebody is making money off of me being miserable right now. And it's not my therapist who's trying to help me get better. It's like, somebody is making money off of me being miserable. And I think when you can challenge yourself to engage with ideas that feel very uncomfortable and very foreign to you, it really can unlock this new side of things. And there's so, there's so much hope on the other side. It's just, it can be so much better than it was. And I'm, I'm a big Instagram user. I love social media, but (laughs) do tread carefully because there are some people who claim that they're wellness anti-diet culture and then you see something it's like oh just kidding that was not that was not what we thought it was going to be amazing well thank you so much Beth for being here and sharing your story and chatting (laughs) with me today it was really nice to hear from you again and I think a lot of people are going to really appreciate your story and are going to feel inspired and feel hopeful just from listening to you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Brittany. It was great to catch up with you again and to chat about this. And it also kind of shows me again how much I've grown. So it's a good reflection point for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody listening, thanks again for tuning in and we will talk to you next week. And as always, as we wrap up this episode, it is so appreciated if you could leave a rating for the podcast if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, and a review if you are just on Apple. It helps more than you know and helps spread the word so this show can help more people who really need it. That's all I have for today. See you next week, and thank you for being here.